0: Cookie.
1: Blog Talk
0: radio. <laughs> Oh, they were talking over us.
1: Crunch, 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 crunch.
0: Well, we all have microphones,
1: so they can probably still hear us. It's tasty.
0: Some more cookies, go out, do you want them.
1: So now we have Facebook Live, Five Radio Network, all present and accounted for for tonight. Go. And, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, and...
0: In-studio audience?
1: Yep, we got our in-studio audience,
0: and... Three out of four cats roaming. See, I'm really good at being an in-studio audience. I don't even need, like, one of those applause or last laugh <laughs> noise <laughs>
1: I just do it. All the cats are around. They are. They're just, like, they're doing my shirt. It's a little unnerving. I've seen all of them in the last five minutes. <laughs> so, huh. yeah, there we are. <laughs>
0: And uh, yes, we are all drinking. Yeah. I have the Robert the Doll rum. Robert, this one's for
1: you. Cheers, Robert. And it's March, a season.
0: I was given a drink, Um, was not told what it was. I assume it's whiskey. It, it is whiskey. It, ah, it was whiskey. I don't know the brand or nothing. It tastes good, though. So. Which one
1: did you crack open? Uh and She finished
0: no, no. the proper toll. Ah, uh, proper
1: uh, toll. Okay. It, 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 it is tasty, but... It. It, it Guy who owns it's a bit of a piece of work.
0: That's but didn't realise
1: that until after I bought it. Mm. Yeah, do. Yeah, it, is, it,
0: is okay, it was the open one and well, you're finishing it. There we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we can we can break into the um the Kirkland Irish whiskey that we bought. That can fun. <laughs> it's a massive bottle. Yep.
1: <laughs> so anyways, but yeah. So a okay. lot going on. I can't remember what we talked about it last time. Uh, so we did
0: announce that we are going to
1: be at GalaxyCon. We have our schedule. Yeah. So we got one show
0: on show. Sure. Show. One, one We're doing panel.
1: panels. It, this isn't going to be. It's not the Haunts of Richmond show. We are just a minuscule part of what is going to be GalaxyCon, which we are still very excited to be a part of, and it's going to be. The weekend of the 24th to 25th and the 26th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
0: So, Friday the 24th, we are at 8 o'clock, doing one of the amusement park uh, Saturday, we have two panels. We
1: have one at uh, 1.15. I think it's 1.15 and 4.15. 4.15. The 1.15 so, is?
0: Um, the authors, literary authors and the paranormal,
1: uh, and the 4.15
0: is uh Celebrity haunting, yeah.
1: that's on the A-list, which if you've been watching our shows, you may have caught that one. Uh, we did that twice. We
0: had what? two
1: of them. I thought we did different types of celebrity hauntings. Anyways, whatever.
0: We had two celebrity hauntings.
1: Okay, but
0: um, then, we digress. Yes, then on um, Sunday at noon. Yeah, Sunday at noon, we are doing
1: um, uh, uh, um, spooky pop culture inspirations, which you know we've done a couple episodes of that, so we're going to distill what we've done in those episodes and kind of shoehorn it into about a 50-minute live panel that we're doing at GalaxyCon. So picking and choosing some of our favorites.
0: Yes, and of course, that same weekend, we are going to also be at Churchill Irish School that Saturday and Sunday. We'll have a booth, so you can stop by and see uh, one of our guys, or you might catch this night on um, off-panel time.
1: It's going to be an uh, all-hands-on-deck weekend, so rotating cast of characters at our booth that weekend. Yes. So, a lot going on at that weekend, and yeah, uh, yeah but we're we're Just getting get all with it. we're getting all geared up <laughs> for it, and we will. You'll have one more reminder because we're going to be live again the Monday before Galaxy Time. Yeah. Yep. Which. that's, yeah. Anyway, so carrying on. So um, tonight, what we have for you, uh, we're carrying on in the March of. Uh, Uh, going across all 50 states and giving each of the states its own episode. Tonight, we have North Dakota.
0: Yes. So, um, we're turning to the Northern Plains for a deeper look at the state of North Dakota. If you listen to these shows regularly, you remember that we recently dropped dropped into the capital city of Bismarck for a look at their haunted executive mansion. but there's so much more to look at in this state. So, we're going to share some of those tales. From those far-flung corners of the sparsely populated states, the prairies, the badlands, well, they're all here with to us tonight.
1: Yeah. Researching these episodes, it makes me really want to visit. I don't trip. know. Trip. It looks amazing. The state of North Dakota, everybody just thinks is, yeah, just flat, it, you know. I've
0: driven through it many times. this is been many times. I really actually like North Dakota.
1: It, it, it's, yeah, there's certainly flat parts to it. It's part of, you know, got a little bit of the Great Plains stuff in there. But there's, you know, there's the Badlands are up in there. You get up into got some mountains and all kinds of beautiful terrain and territory up through there. Yeah. The, the Red River um, Valley looks absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got lots of stuff to talk about tonight. And uh, yeah, you're going to take the first one? What's up? So we're going
0: to look at the University of North Dakota Grand Forks. So that means we're going to go to a couple different buildings here.
1: We almost could have done an an entire
0: episode on on just the university,
1: but so we cherry picked a few of our uh, few stories from it, and here
0: you go. Um, So again, this is along the far east end of the state, along the border with Minnesota, and of course we have the city of Grand Forks. It dominated much of the small city's landscape. As the University of North Dakota, which has been called, uh, has called the city home since 1883, a six years before North Dakota actually achieved its statehood in 1889. As with any university, UND uh, draws a wide variety of students, each with their own interests. As you can expect, there are some students who are drawn to history, including those who participate in the UND History Club. Now, this is where history and, well, usually there are stories and the University of North Dakota all joined together.
1: These are I mean, our kind of people. Yeah,
0: I mean, this club went out and actually documented their
1: school's ghost stories, which I love. There are, yeah. I kind of love it. <laughs> History nuts with, with a penchant for the spooky and, yeah.
0: So they documented nine buildings from across the campus. Um, so we're going to, of course, try to touch on quite a few of those. First is Gustafson Hall. Uh, this is, of course, during the uh, time of the Influenza Panic of uh, 1918. No place was safe from the virus, including the campus. And since it was all occurring against the backdrop of the First World War and the military footing can be found, of course, in every foot of the country, and the hall was serving as the National Student Army Training Corps when influenza arrived. The first influenza cases arrived on campus in early October of 1918, and by October 9th, the entire campus was, was torn oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> down. The hall was hastily converted into a temporary infirmary to care for the many students that had fallen ill. However, the Wisconsin lacked many basic necessities, including bed sheets, toiletries, and doctors.
1: Kind of Doctors at an infirmary seemed kind of critical. Yeah.
0: Well, in all, about 320 students trainees on campus fell ill and 3,000 Grand Forks residents fell sick. The city was on lockdown until the influenza plat, uh, passed by and by the time the lockdown be lifted, 29 people had died at UND and then about a third of them in the infirmary at Gustafson Hall. The influenza was not the only brush with death. On April 29th of 1963, the body of 19-year-old Private Dale A. Howells was found in a courtroom on the first floor. At the time, the hall was being used as the Phi Delta Theta's fraternity house, and Howells had been partying with a friends the night before. He complained he was feeling unwell, so he went to lie down in his car. He passed out about 4.30 a.m., and his friends went back to the front house, they got a bite to eat, and left Howells in the car. At 5 a.m., they placed the still alive house in the tiny coat room and went to bed. At 10 a.m., one of the frat brothers went to retrieve his coats from the closet and found the body. Probably alcohol poisoning that killed him. In the years since the influenza ripped through the campus and the other tragic events that have happened in the hall, staff here have seen their fair share of ghostly apparitions. Even going so far as to name one of them, Gus. Gus seems to be a benevolent. Spirits linking around the old hall without causing too many issues. One Bath member, Lynette, uh, shared her experience with the UND History Club. She recalled how she was working late one Sunday evening in 2003. To the best of her knowledge, she was alone in the building. However, she suddenly felt something touched the back of the neck. Lynette was just finally unsettled by this. And, uh, she wasn't, of course, terribly surprised either because, well, in the time at the university, she had had other experiences in hearing weird creaks, doors opening, felt strange presences before, but it was the first time she'd been touched and that was personal, it was unnerving. It didn't stop with the touch, Lynette, then her furniture being violently pushed around the floor above her and that was too much. She ran from the building never saying they're late at night ever again. <laughs> Lynette's stories didn't end there. She also had a second hand tale of a custodial worker who wasn't cleaning the building or was cleaning the building late at night a number of years before Lynette had had her own personal experience. The janitor enjoyed playing his radio as he worked and he usually left it on the first floor where the sound would echo through the building for him. One night, when he was emptying some garbage on the second floor, his radio lost signal. It went static. Confused, he went downstairs and he saw a young man standing with his back turned to him, next to the radio. The custodian said hello to the man and asked what he was looking for. And he watched in horror as the boy faded away and disappeared. The custodian left and refused to ever return to the hall again. Seems like a
1: reasonable
0: response. Yeah, I'll be a little upset too. <laughs>
1: All right, so we'll next turn our eye to the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity. After years of work, the fraternity was officially granted a spot on campus in 1923. Their house was situated on Hamline Street near the center of campus. On October 16, 1971, the Sigma Alpha Epsilon house caught fire. Two students, Pamela Stern and Tony Stein, died in the fire. It is believed that Pam's ghost lingers in the house and she's there, there to watch over women who stay in the house and has been seen multiple times in hallway mirrors. Tony is also believed to be there as well. His spirit seems to be relegated to the basement where he passed away while trying to escape the fire. Members of the fraternity still get eerie feelings when going to the basement at night. One member ran down to get a sandwich when a 30-pound cupboard unhinged itself and slammed against the wall. Other unexplained sounds are often heard emanating from the basement at night as well. And then moving to the south side of campus, we have Burtness Theater, which is built in the 1960s, a fairly recent addition to campus. The structure has come to host several spirits since its inception only about 60 years ago.
0: It's
1: just one of those things. Now, of these spirits, two are considered to be of a rather unsubtle sort. But then there is Stu. Now, Stu is believed to be the ghost of a UND student who died in the 1970s. He was known by his friends to be quite the handyman, especially with electrical issues. Stu loved the theater and would often be called upon to troubleshoot issues at Berkness. While he didn't pass at the theater, broken objects here will sometimes be miraculously fixed, even without a visit from maintenance. The students and faculty that work at the theater like to think that Sue is still lending a helping hand whenever it can. As for the unsettled spirits, they are more frightening than outright troublesome. Some have reported seeing a woman in a Victorian dress wandering in the backstage area. She is believed to be the remnant of a student who passed away in an old dorm that stood in the area where Burkness now resides. Whatever her motivation is for lingering on, she carries herself in a way that expresses disappointment with her current haunting arrangement. She has never acted out against anyone, but her appearance alone has sent chill down the spine of those who have crossed her path. And then finally, there is the spirit of a homeless man who was likely passing through Grand Forks in search of work. His story is that he took shelter in the theater but passed away during his unofficial stay there. While his tenure there was during his life wasn't official, he has managed to earn himself a level of recognition there as a spirit. He spends most of his haunting hours in the pit of the stage and is often blamed for ominous piano playing in the middle of the night. So he wants to be dancing with the opera. Yeah, kind of aiming for it. Worst goals to have.
0: As long as you don't burn the opera
1: house. No, no, yeah, you don't want to burn the... Don't burn the theater to the ground, no, no, not at all. Burn the theater, kind They're not great. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Even the smell of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah, Richmond certainly has its history with that. But that's another story that you can come out here on to Capitol Hill Tour. Merchant. Plugging in. that. All right. So, anyway... Not quite done with UND yet. Moving on, we're going to slide over to an older building on campus, now known as the Gershman Graduate Center. It was formerly known as the J. Lloyd Stone Alumni Center and after, uh, after a long-term association president, alumni association president, and was renamed a few years ago after the Gershman alumni of the university who made a generous donation to rehabilitate the aging building. The recent rehab not only saved the integrity of the structure, but it also returned some of the common spaces back to how they would have appeared back in 1902 when the building was constructed and used as the university president's house. Forced university presidents to look at the house after its construction before a new residence was built and the home repurposed. I huh? am, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Anyway. There is a resident spirit at the one-time home that has been described as a little Dutch girl. She is said to linger about the third floor of the building, particularly in the ballroom area. Her footsteps can be heard echoing through the space late at night, and she will sometimes spook those who are unwise enough to enter her space alone during the quiet hours. In 1996, one staff member was foolish enough to accidentally lock themselves inside the building. Yeah. Yeah. While stuck there alone, the sound of clanging metal started emanating from a closet as if someone was clashing all the metal coat hangers against one another. The staff member eventually broke out one of the doors to escape and made sure to never make such a mistake again. The origin of the little Dutch girl is uncertain. Now, North Dakota had a number of European ancestral influences, including Dutch, but none of the university presidents that lived at the home had Dutch heritage. So while her story remains a mystery, her presence can still be felt all the same. And we have now West Hall and the tunnel. We're going to move up University Avenue where we will find West Hall and the adjacent Wilkerson Dining Hall. Considering their proximity to one another, it might not seem obvious for there to be a tunnel connecting the two buildings, yet a the tunnel there is. The tunnel is useful in the winter and can be busy during the day, but at night, Well, things can get a little creepy. The tunnel plays host to a girl with black hair, sometimes seen floating down the tunnel without any legs. She has also been known to cause mischief in the dorms above it. Reports describe her as appearing to be lost, frantic, and usually semi-transparent. So what might her story be? In December of 1962, a young woman froze to death in a blizzard. She was 60 feet from West Hall when she slipped on a patch of ice. In those conditions, that was all it took. It was after this tragic event that the ghost was first spotted. And after the tunnel was constructed, her spirit seems to have decided that would be a very sensible place to take up residence. All things considered, it would be hard to say that she is wrong. It's not just the girl with the long black hair at West Hall though. It's also home to a very peculiar and seen haunting its elevator and the fourth floor. It's always so the elevator. This is one of my personal favorites. So this is fantastic. The oh, elevator. It's a goat. Yes, a goat. It has been seen kicking trash cans and jumping into the elevator. On the bright side, after the goat makes an appearance, the elevator begins to run smoothly, almost good as new. Why a goat? Your guess is as good as ours. You see, me. But it's a goat. But one more on campus. Do you want to take it back over? Sure. Okay. We're going to a
0: sorority episode. All right, so this is Gamma Phi Beta, uh, and their resident spirit is Clara. Clara's origin is unknown, but she's usually associated with the early founding of the sorority. She is associated with stories of a dancing girl seen in the house accompanied by a green globe. She is also blamed for messing with the alarm clocks in the building, and on one occasion, um, they all went off at once, even though they were set to go off at different times. The clocks have also been randomly reset, much to the late risers' dismay. TVs, computers, printers will often act on their own accord, turning themselves on and off at inconvenient moments. Although once the girls don't see Clara as a dangerous or scary entity, they would prefer not to be alone with her. She's known to be aggressive towards boys who stay in the house. One boyfriend who was over to watch a movie was subjected to some clear disapproval. Yeah. The couple started to hear footsteps upstairs. They were quiet at first, then then they got louder until they were stomping. The boyfriend went upstairs to investigate, found no one, then all five doors on the third floor slammed shut at the same time. For reasons unknown, Clarence has actually not been cited often since the devastating Red River flood of 1997, that damaged 72 buildings on campus and inundated downtown Grand Forks. Now, before we move along, we do want to give another shout out to UMD uh, and their history club for collecting these great sets of stories. We just shared only a few of their stories, and we may come back and visit uh, some of their tales for another time. With that, we're not quite done with Grand Forks yet.
1: Nope, not done yet. I'm
0: locking the keyboard so it stops <laughs> popping up. So now we're going to go to the Empire Arts Center. And this is in downtown Grand Forks. Uh, it was back in November of 1919 when construction was being completed on the new Grand, the largest theater in town built for the purpose of showing only movie pictures. The building was impressive in almost every way right down to the construction as the special basement tunnels which were designed to ensure that patrons did not get a chill from the concrete floor built against the ground. November 10th, opening night, a foot of snow due to the season's first blizzard did not stop residents from filling the Grand Theater and for the next 10 years the theater drew crowds of motion pictures and entered into the hockey era. Times were so good that in 1930, the Grand closed for an extensive remodeling. When it reopened, it featured an all-new 3,000 balls marquee, a new box office, a new screen, sound system, and projectors. Moviegoers again, lined up around the block to be treated to the new Italian Renaissance decor, acoustic treatments, and the first North Dakota theater with washed
1: air cooling. Now, that is really saying something. 1930, we're just kicking off the Great Depression.
0: And they remodeled it and had a
1: seat. Yeah. The, 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 they, that's, they were... They were uh, popular. They must have been doing pretty well up there in Grand Falls and, despite, despite conditions at large.
0: And honestly, people escaped to the movies during the Depression more true. than any other entertainment. Very true. So, at a nickel, people would save up for it and just escape reality that way.
1: But lost my fault.
0: There it is.
1: Now I so, want to sit <laughs> on the couch and watch TV.
0: Now, part of the... Uh, <laughs> The Paramount public chain of the theater is re the Paramount, and the theater again saw a grand gradual facialist and modernization in the early 50s, capped off with an addition of CinemaScope in 1954, an impressive new marquee spelling out the new name Empire in brilliant flashing lights. For years, the Empire remained a prestigious theater in downtown Grand Forks. but a quarter of a century later, attendance sagged, and the Empire saw trouble on the horizon. The theater would get a rapid series of changes before succumbing to economic pressures in April of 1994. And the rest of the year, as, um, the building sat dark, it served a storage space while works were in progress to determine the next major step in existence, its existence. The historic structure was ultimately donated to the North Valley Arts Council in December of 1994, and it started as a multi-purpose downtown arts center. Major renovations were undertaken, and the major uh, project managed to survive the Red <clears throat> River flood. The Empire reopened on March 27th in 1998. Uh, uh, Excuse 1998. There we go. Numbers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, to this day, it continues to host a variety of theater productions, performing arts, films, concerts, speakers, community events, and meetings throughout the year. Amidst all of this activity with the arts, a different kind of activity also takes place. A paranormal investigation has uh, has been conducted at the Empire, and several spirits were identified to be roaming the halls and off points. This was driven by a series of weird sightings and sensations at the Empire. One of the spirits was identified as a ghost named Lester. He frequently lingers in the main auditorium, and the theory is, that he's drawn there by the electromagnetic fields that are generated by the theater's equipment. Others have described the feeling of being watched and experiencing the flicking of the theater lights without explanation. While not all the staff of the Empire beliefs or uh, reports are driven by the paranormal, they tend to accept the stories are integral. Integ- integral? Yes.
1: I broke out the big words. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I need more
0: money. To the theater's history, and they welcome their spirited coworkers, whether or not they see them. It is so good. I should have warmed up first. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh
1: well, I mean word. this will live on in perpetuity, but it, there's nobody watching this live
0: tonight. <laughs> your mom uh, your mom's on. Is she? Yeah. Oh, Hi, mom. Mom.
1: oh, yeah. So she is she she might be our one viewer tonight.
0: She, she's watching the grandbabies.
1: Hi mom. <laughs> but yeah. That's okay. I like the script. This is it's Monday they what? It's what? It's a Weird Monday. It is a Weird Monday, and it's also. We're also competing
0: against History of the World Part two. Are we really? We are. That's garbage tonight. Are we
1: Oh, well. Oh, uh, and we're also competing against Facebook algorithms. Zuckerberg.
0: <coughs> anyway, moving on.
1: Moving on. Oh, <sighs> hey, I'm here. Hi, <laughs> hey, Mom. All right, so now we're going to go ahead and uh, move off of the uh, eastern border of North Dakota. We're going to go, um, uh, we're going to go kind of towards the uh, east central area. Now, if you just kind of look at the United States map, you might not really associate um, North Dakota with a, as a place of having lakes, but they actually have a couple of good sized lakes there in North Dakota. And uh, now one of them is. I love this. One of them is called Devil's Lake, uh, again, in the east central area of the state, and many communities lie along its shores, including historic Fort Totten. Now, Fort Totten has a long history of being many things, and there are a lot of stories attached to it, some of which can be quite chilling. For generations, people who have worked there have had spooky encounters, which, uh, many of which defy explanation. Fort Totten was established back in 1867 as a post for soldiers guarding transportation routes through the Indian Reservation there. It was also the meeting spot for an expedition that was to survey the United States and Canada border. It's life as the fort and headquarters was short-lived as it was decommissioned as a fort in 1890. After the decommissioning, it was transformed into a boarding school for local Native American children and it was used for that purpose until 1959 when it closed a year later, it was listed as the National um, it listed as the national Historic Site. It still is today. Now uh, we'll, we're going to circle back on the, the, the School for Native American Children. Uh, I know that can be a hot button topic, so we're not just going to gloss completely over that. So bear with me on this. Now from uh, 1935 to 1939, the boarding school was temporarily a tuberculosis preventatorium. Preventatorium, they tried to send people there so that tuberculosis wouldn't spread even wider than it already was. Um, So, And uh, in this case, it was basically dedicated for children who were susceptible to or already had uh, contracted tuberculosis. This helped prevent the further spread of the deadly disease, but some of the children who already had the disease uh, passed away at the fort. Even at the beginning of the fort's use as a boarding school, it was not all that uncommon. Uh, children taken from the reservation were not immune to the same diseases that the soldiers and teachers at the fort were, and exposure to these illnesses caused numerous deaths. So, yeah, uh, the same story, different state. Same story, different state. You can find it all Everywhere. over the place. Anywhere. It, it really is a kind of a kind of one of those grim, embarrassing, tragic tales from our history, but. It's, uh, it's there all the same. Yeah. It's,
0: it's there. It happened. We can't deny it. We yeah. don't walk over it.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: it led to death.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now, always in one. Yes.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, uh, carrying on, um, as a historic site, you can visit the fort and learn about its past, but keep in mind that there have been many ghost sightings here and reports of paranormal activity over the years. Apparitions peering out from windows, ghostly little girls running across the ground, and other spirited sightings are common. Sometimes these sightings are even accompanied by the sounds of children laughing in the distance. The activity is so well known that the site even hosts haunted night tours around Halloween. In the boys' dormitory on the ground, some people have encountered a human-shaped shadow moving across one of the walls before disappearing. Psychics have been here before and reported that the building has a lot of angry, violent energy. Given the often negative history of boarding schools for Native children, it's a little surprise that the energy can be aggressive. One of our most favorite parts about the site, though, is that one of its most haunted buildings is actually now run as an inn. The Totten Trail Inn is a bed and breakfast in a building that was originally used as housing for some of the Fort's officers and their families. Of the families that live there, the story is that at least one man and one woman died there and their spirits have decided to stick around to the modern day. Guests who stay at the inn today have been, have seen dark apparitions following them through the building and the feeling of being watched can make one's skin crawl at times. That said, it still comes as a highly recommend place to stay in this beautiful corner of North Dakota. It will certainly be on our list if we're ever passing through.
0: That's one of those places I actually haven't been to. What's that? Fort Tom.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's pretty much right there in the middle of the state. I mean it's yeah. the interstate passes by not too far off. Probably
0: passed by it. I'm sure. Um, but it's not a place we visited as a family So In in Iowa. In Iowa, yeah. yes. Yes, yes. But we we went through a lot of the neighboring states. <laughs> All right, Sage Hill Bed and Breakfast and Animals. Uh, moving westward, we find another small town in north central, uh, excuse me, in central North Dakota. On the outskirts of animals, the Sage Hill Bed and Breakfast is a curly establishment that opened up in 1996. Housed in an old school house that was built in 1928, the bed and breakfast is a delightful mixture of modern uh, amenities with the essence of the old school house. It was less, once known as the White School as it was one of the first rural uh, consolidated primary schools in North Dakota. And its namesake was for Colonel uh, Samuel White, a Pierce County native who led a battalion in the Spanish-American War. Very progressive for the time, the school utilizes a wind generator for power, both for the hot lunch program and hot showers for both boys and girls when most of the homes did not have indoor plumbing. The 1,000 square foot building that consisted of two large classrooms, a library, accommodations for two teachers, and the traveling superintendent's office, the second floor. The lower level consisted of the gym, a stage, a kitchen, the showers, and a bus driver's room. The third story was left unfinished and planned as room to expand uh, for the incorporation of high school. In its heyday, it had approximately 100 local children attending the school. Now the grounds had two barns uh, to house six four-strong school buses. The White School functioned as a model school as professors from Minot Normal School, now Minot State University, realized the schoolhouse as a gathering place to share new teaching methods with the rural teachers. Ultimately, the school never saw the growth it had originally anticipated due to a declining rural population, and it closed in 1968. Today's bed and breakfast owners are focused on making their established the attendee of hospitality. But if you ask, they will tell you about the mysterious experiences that they have, uh, of course, earned them their sushi reputation. Bed and breakfast has, no, has a strict no smoking policy, but sometimes the smell of cigar smoke uh, permeates into the hallway. People also report seeing things out of the corner of their eye, and their owners report that their things moved from where they originally were put. It seems that some of the children of yesteryear, eh, yeah, are curious about their modern surroundings. Workers who were involved in the hotel's construction were plagued by the feeling that they were not alone. As they tore away the old walls to make room for the new inn, they would hear strange sounds and noises that were that of moaning, almost as if somebody were protesting the renovation. And who knows, maybe morning rural came over. Despite any possible security disapproval, the resident's food seem to be accommodating enough. While the rest, uh, guests will sometimes be to aware of the ghostly co-inhabitants, they haven't felt threatened or overly frightened by them. There's a feeling of mutual curiosity seems to dominate the interactions between the living and the dead here. So if you're looking for a clumsy country, haunted escape, this is the right spot. It looks
1: cool. It does. So, and just uh, moving along just a little to the southeast of Animos is the city of Harvey.
0: Because I had to throw a library in there, even though it's not
1: technically a haunted library. We'll get there. So, anyways, founded in 1893 by the Soe Line Railway, the bulk of, its, uh, bulk of Harvey's history revolves around the railroad lines that still traverse the center of the city today. A small community still boasts some of the amenities that would help make life more comfortable and enriching for its residents, including a public library. And as we discussed on our Haunted Libraries episode last year, there's something about the stacks that tends to draw in visitors of the spirited sort. Ask anyone in Harvey that they will, likely t- and they will likely tell you that the haunted place to visit is the Harvey Public Library. Flickering lights, misplaced items, even unexplainable computer glitches have been reported over the years. Much of the activity is attributed to the ghost of Sophia Everlin. Now Sophia Everlin was born in Russia and emigrated to the United States. She married Hugo Everlin, a well-known Harvey businessman, and had two daughters, Lillian and Alice. After Hugo's death in 1928, Sophia married Jacob Bentz. On the morning of October 2nd, 1931, Benz bludgeoned Sophia to death while she slept. At first, he tried to cover up the murder, stating that he and Sophia were on a business trip early in the morning of October 2nd. Sophia was driving on the car, jumped the road, took to the ditch, and caught fire. He claimed to have attempted to save Sophie, but he could not. However, when Sophia's daughter Lillian came home for the funeral, she found blood in the house and reported her findings to the police. Once the evidence pointed to murder, Jacob confessed that he had killed his wife. He said that he and Sophia quarreled, and he struck her several times with a hammer. According to a 1931 article from the Harvey Herald newspaper, Jacob busied himself in cleaning up the murder chamber. Blood had flowed over the bedding, upon the floor, and was splattered upon a portion of the wall. Sophia was 41 when she was murdered. Didn't clean too well if the daughter found it. Yeah. Now, Ben, for his part, was sentenced to life in prison, as he should have been at an absolute minimum. He died in 1943 behind bars in the state penitentiary. After her murder, Sophia's daughters would tell reporters that Jacob relentlessly pursued Sophia until she felt she had no other choice but to marry him. At the funeral, she was a, um at the funeral, she was a Bence, but after the crime was solved, Sophia became an Evelyn again and is buried with Hugo in the Side Cemetery in town. The house where Sophia lived and died, sat where the library does now. That said, it was never destroyed. The house was actually just moved to a different spot a few blocks away. Apparently, numerous people have tried living in that house, but they never linger for long, always saying that something just isn't right about the house. In 1990, the library was built on the site of the former Everlyn House. Librarians report that the library door mysteriously relocked itself after they have opened it and that lights have blinked on and off in the library and that on one occasion, one entryway light remained mysteriously on even after the light switch was flicked off uh, and all the other lights had gone out. One night after everyone had left, a heavy library cart filled with books was moved to block a doorway, and the librarian and her assistant were unable to move it back by themselves. Books have also mysteriously fallen off the shelves, and on occasion, books have been left at the, uh, that have been left at the front desk have mysteriously been reshelved when no one was around to do so. The librarian also reports unexplained cold chills whenever she sits in her office, even in the middle of the summer. The librarian's office is built directly over the site where Everlyn's bedroom was. One morning, the librarian arrived to find her computer glitching with a large S flashed across the screen in a font that did not exist in the system software. The first thought on everyone's mind, Sophia. The activity has led people to visit the library not only for books but also to try some ghost hunting they will sometimes come away having seen strange orbs and flashes of light and some have even reported having been on the receiving end of an unexpected and disembodied touch if you do stop at the library be sure to be respectful not to not only the library and the librarians but to sophia's memory as well the librarians will tell you that sophia is a fairly well-behaved ghost but she tends to act out when people ask about her. The librarian's one request, please don't bring up Sophia's de- um, bring, please don't bring up Sophia in the month of October. No one wants to upset her around the anniversary anniversary of her death on October second.
0: Reasonable request.
1: I'd like think so.
0: Because so they won't have any comic source
1: or anything. No, nope, no, no spooky stuff at that library. Okay.
0: All right, so we're going to go to Port Lincoln and Custard's house. This is Amanda.
1: There's no D at the end.
0: Custard.
1: Custard. Custard. <laughs> I know, custard is tasty,
0: but this is not what we're talking about. I like frozen custard. <laughs> I had very fantastic with a free Oh, so good. Mm. Charlotte's will or the beach. Or the beach. Got to get it one somewhere. Can need to put one your we have an ice cream shop? Hmm. we yeah. hmm? have an ice cream shop in mm-hmm. We do. Another new one? Maybe another new one. Maybe another one. Oh. No, we have a new one. Yeah, there is a new one there,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, we're digressing now. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we are distracted by ice cream. It's easy to do. Yes. Anyway, um, so this is, of course, uh, passing through the city of Bismarck over the Missouri River. To the West Bank, standing the city of Menden. and it is the short uh, home to the Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park. Park features lovely trails, wonderful campgrounds, historic sites, and of course, a few resident spirits. Once the most notable one of the most notable sites, I can read really, I can. It's Custer's house. Mm-hmm. Did you? <laughs> it's not recognized only for a historic value, but for its hauntings as well. I just channeled Martha. <laughs> okay, stopping. That says the site timeline is the late 1800s, and of course, it's not a straight line. So, here we go. Fort Abraham Lincoln was an old military post that was active in the 1870s before North Dakota became a state. The Fort was a Cavalry Post and had about 700 soldiers, officers, civilians, laundresses, and other staff members at any given time. It's claimed the same is that it was the first commanding officer for the fort was General George Armstrong Custer, who of course had previously been a Civil War hero. Custer was here for about three years before he took part in the Battle of Little Bighorn at Montana. That did not end well for him. No, he didn't. no, he died. <laughs> if you don't know that history, he died. His fame blossomed into North Dakota legend from that point forward. In the 1890s, the fort was torn down, all the buildings were leveled, and the area was opened up for farming. About 90 years later, a local nonprofit organization and historical restoration group decided that they want to rebuild the quarters for general day. And, of course, in 1889, a replica of his house was rebuilt here on the grounds. And that was followed by the reconstruction of the other buildings that once existed at the fort in the days that the fort was active on frontier life could be, well, let's say brutal for the men who stayed there. The winters at the fort would get very cold Men often froze to death in their bones. Let's just say, you know, that certain movie was very, very accurate with Kevin Costner. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which one one are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, uh, on top of that, men were sometimes killed in squabbles with the, of course, nearby saloons that were by the fort, and perhaps they would drown in the river. Others would, of course, just be unintentional deaths. Some soldiers didn't acc- acclimate well to life on the plane. They'd hang themselves from sailing beams in the fort building. Deaths and despair that are thought to fuel the paranormal crop, uh, phenomenon continues to this present day. There are spots in the house that are cold for no reason, disembodied voices. The ghost of the the lieutenant colonel himself is said to roam the house and the ground. Long dead soldiers, cavalrymen have also been spotted near there. The site has been investigated by paranormal groups uh, that have recorded what could be known as ghostly voices speaking from the other side okay the history of the people who spent time here at fort lincoln is so neat that there isn't one specific story that can explain the strange and eerie happenings here one worker at the park uh was taking part in the seasonal haunted port attraction that opened up when the tales of the paranormal became undeniable he recalled that the sun was setting the shadows of the trees and the people were starting to get long. He drove back to the infantry post to make sure no one was wandering around or parked there. There wasn't a person or car in sight, at least not until he looked over his shoulder. A man dressed in full blue uniform at that exact same uniform that the infantrymen used to wear around the fort in the 1880s was walking straight towards him. The man had a rifle in his hand and looked straight ahead at the worker with each chef. The soldier was as solid and as real as any person you might encounter on any given day but he must certainly had not been there just seconds before. After a glance back up the road to try to orientate himself, a worker looked back and the soldier was gone. This is an open field on the flat lands of North Dakota. There is absolutely nowhere that you can hide in a matter of a second or two. The worker was worried that he was losing his mind and it wouldn't be his last brush with the paranormal at the park. The next time, he at least had another witness with him. It was after the couple's dinner party that we hosted in the Custard House that they had just bid all the visitors farewell. The worker was with another one of the park rangers in the house. But a photo frame perched on top of the piano, flew off the side of the piano, and hit the floor. The picture is of Lieutenant Tom Kostert, the brother of George Kostert, who had also lived in the original home in the late 1800s. The frame was nowhere near the edge of the piano, and no windows were open to provide a gust of wind. The two men were stunned by what had just been witnessed. There was no logical explanation for the sudden movement of the frame. These are just the tips of the scales for the tales that appear here at Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park. Countless other people, visitors, and staff alike have all recorded hearing footsteps, voices, seeing shadowy figures in the fort for many years. Much of the activity is relatively harmless, for the sudden and unsettling nature of some of those events. Can be downright terrifying. If you want to raise the Haunted State Park for a night, of course it does have campsites that so you can go out and book if you dare.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. So, now we have another library. Now it's not actually stories about the time of the library. This building has had multiple purposes over the years. And to uh, to get to this place, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a double back to the uh, state capital, of Bismarck. So not our first visit to Bismarck, as again, we had talked about the uh, executive mansion there just a few weeks ago. Uh, This time, uh, however, we're going to drop into the Liberty Memorial building, which is now home to the North Dakota State Library. It was built back in the 1920s for the purpose of housing several state offices, including the Supreme Court, the State Library, and the Historical Society. The building was doubled, at, um, doubled as a memorial to the men and women of North Dakota who served in the Great War. It's a classic government building with an imposing limestone facade, ornamental bronze doors, and finely finished tile and marble surfaces throughout the interior. Despite the fine materials used in its construction, this old building has always been described as having a spooky atmosphere. The lighting provides a warm glow that isn't necessarily welcoming, and sharp shadows linger in corners where the lighting doesn't quite reach. Then there is also the stereotypical creepy basement. In the years that the Historical Society called the Liberty Memorial Building home, it was also home to numerous manifestations that resided alongside the artifacts and books that sprawled throughout the interior of the building for people to peruse and enjoy. The employees at the Historical Society had a name for their supernatural colleague. They called it the Stack Monster. What follows follows is a series of encounters that historical society staffers had with the entity or entities over the years. In 1967, an archivist by the name of Lise Van Keen was working overtime with a fellow co-worker, Craig Gannon. All the other employees had left for the day. While Lise was working in the sub-basement, he heard a voice call his name. Come here, Lise. Naturally, Lise wandered through the stacks, expecting to find Craig, but Craig was nowhere to be found in the sub-basement. Lise was shocked to find Craig two floors above him in the building, and Craig denied having ever called out for Lise on that evening. In July 1972, James Sperry, the superintendent of the Historical Society, was working late one night, it was about 9 p.m. in his second-floor office with his dog, Shadow, keeping him company. To take a break, he and his dog went down to the first floor to talk to a society archivist, Frank Verzak, who was also working late. Shadow suddenly started to growl and ran down the hall, straight down the stairs to the darkened basement. Seconds later, one very scared Shadow bolted back up the stairs and down the hall with his tail between his legs. James was taken aback and confused by Shadow's actions that night, but he got a better idea of what his dog might have been experiencing on another late evening. On this next occasion, James took the elevator to the basement late one night. Upon getting off the elevator, James saw a man with a white shirt walk into a storage area. James didn't recognize the man, and no one else should have been there at that hour. James promptly marched to the storage area, turned on the light, and found that there was no one there. The room only had one entrance, and there was nowhere for a person to have hidden so quickly. Walter Bailey uh, was a historic preservation planner that worked in the building from 1973 until the Historical Society moved in 1981. When he was alone at night working in the building, he too would be overwhelmed with a feeling that he should leave the building quickly, as if he didn't want, uh, as if he didn't belong in the building anymore. He could be completely involved in some project when this feeling would suddenly envelope him like a uh, like a cloud. When alone at night in the building, Bailey would frequently hear distinctive footsteps, usually coming from the first floor where the office of Russell Reed, a long-term society superintendent, used to be. No one was ever there. Reed, for his part, was a bachelor who had dedicated his life to his work with the Historical Society, sometimes even sleeping in his office. If anyone were to have a reason to come back to haunt the society, Reed would fit the bill. He never seemed to consider his work there done. So who or what was haunting the Historical Society when it was at the Liberty Memorial Building? Definitive answers are elusive, and we may never know. The stack monster has not been seen or heard since the Historical Society moved to their new Heritage Center building in 1981. In fact, an administrative assistant, Gloria Engel, may have seen the stack monster leave the building about a week before the big move in 1981. From her desk, she could clearly see the large, heavy outside doors located on the south entrance of the building. While she was looking at the door, it uh, opened very slowly by itself and closed slowly as if someone left the building. Since that day, no one has seen or heard any activity once associated with the stack monster, either in the Liberty Memorial Building or in the new Heritage Center building. Despite being deemed a monster, the stack monster is truly missed by the Historical Society and would be very welcome to come back and visit. If they ever want to come to the new Heritage Center for a visit, a special security badge has already been issued for this apparition. The Historical Society recognizes that historical spirits also have their value in the story of North Dakota.
0: I love that. (laughs) It's got its own badge. (laughs) All right, so we're going to head over to Dempsey, and this is the Sandhaven Sanatorium. It's, of course, north close to the Canadian border on the edge of the Turtle Mountain Plateau. Laid out in 1882, this small community of less than 1,000 people sits on a plot of land that is almost exactly one square mile. The city's name means City of Peace, which is appropriate considering the proximity to the International Peace Garden that now resides on the U.S.-Canadian border just a few miles away. Just outside of the sleepy city lies a large abandoned cult. This creepy husk of Sam Haven Sanatorium opened in 1909 to treat patients from tuberculosis. It served in this capacity until the disease was brought under control in the 1940s by the advent of antibiotics. As time went on and the number of tuberculosis patients dwindled, San Haven started to serve as a home for the dement- developmentally disabled. At its peak, the number of mentally ill and disabled patients reached around 1,300. By 1971, the name had changed from Sam Haven Tuberculosis Sanatorium to just San Haven State Hospital. As with many institutions of its kind, allegations of understaffing and neglect would plague the facility until it shuttered its doors in 1987. The weight of its past hangs heavily over the remnants of Haven today. Death and misery that occurred here can almost be felt emanating from the crumbling walls. Vandals have contributed greatly to its decline, and many people claim that there are tortured souls still trying to uh, hang out in this area, lingering long after they have left the, course, Mortal Coil.
1: Yeah, long after they shuffled off the Mortal, mortal Coil. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Michael.
0: No, my words are just not computing from my brain. Fair. Anyway, before we go any further, we want to emphasize, don't plan a visit here. The property is privately owned by the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa tribe. And it, at least one urban explorer has died after a fall from the deteriorating ruin. It's not safe. It's trespassing. Don't go. Those who have entered into the facility have said they have seen flooding apparitions to have heard a baby cry on the property. Others claim to have been attacked by an unknown spirit and walked away from the building with injuries. The cause of the paranormal activity is difficult to nail down. Sadly, there are many possible explanations. Most obviously, there are the deaths that occurred at San it's estimated at least 1,000 people perished here between Sears as service as a sanatorium and later sanitarium and sanatorium. Many of these unfortunate souls may be restless as they were buried on property in unmarked graves. But, excuse me, I'm sorry, buddy. And there's the issue of tribal land. Ownership of the Sam human property was reverted back to the Chippewa tribe in 1992 but there's little debate that the land should have rightfully, rightfully been theirs all along. Not exactly the native burial ground trope, but it's not a far stretch to say that messing with native land stirs up bad energy, period. For better or worse, land haven days are numbered. And last year, the Chippurah's tribe received a grant from the Environmental Protection Agency to help clean up the environmental contamination that occurred on the site during its medical years. This will include demolishing the crumbling structures, effectively erasing the most significant evidence of the now abandoned medical facility that has dominated the site for over a century. We hope it'll help put the spirits that linger here uh, to rest. And of course, their deserved rest. Yeah. Now, one mm-hmm. town that everybody should know from North Dakota. Marco.
1: Yeah, yeah surprisingly, yeah, the biggest city in North Dakota. We haven't quite touched on it yet we'll do so now. It's going to be our last stop for this evening. Uh, and uh, to do this, we're here. I have to go all the way back to the far eastern border of the state. Uh, and uh, on the northern edge of town of Fargo along the Red River is a site of recreation and relaxation for the general public known as Trollwood Park. Now, I will point out, Trollwood is a very fascinating name. I spent a lot more time Trying to search for where the name came from than I probably should have, and came up empty. He went down a rabbit hole that didn't exist. If anybody, if anybody knows, please chime in. I'd be happy to find out. But the name Trollwood, as uh, interesting as it is, complete mystery to me. Carrying on now. It's one of the many parks that Fargo is well known for. Um, And uh, here at Trollwood, it offers a playground, walking trails, a disc golf course, and more wonderful amenities, all of which help to obscure the otherworldly activity that has been reported there over the years. The first known claims of the paranormal started while the Trollwood Performing Arts School operated in the park amphitheater from the late 1970s until 2009. During rehearsals and performances, individuals would sometimes spot a mysterious woman dressed in a long, dark, um, long, dark. Excuse me. Sorry. No. Oh, okay. Does they need to burn it away? In a long, dark blue 19th-century dress, dancing and swinging to the music beneath a willow tree. Most people would disregard the woman thinking that she was part of the performance, only to find themselves completely bewildered when they'd look again and find that she had somehow vanished while they had just briefly glanced away. Though the performing arts school moved to its new location in the neighboring city of Moorhead to escape repeated damaging floods from the Red River, the strange claims continued to emerge from visitors to the park. Visitors have claimed to have felt the physical sensation of another person touching or tapping them on the shoulder to catch their attention, only to turn and find that there was nobody there at all. Evidence within Trollwood Park provides hints as to what may be driving the haunted happenings. Near the willow tree where the ghostly figure had been spotted dancing lies a large stone marked County Cemetery No. 2 that not only contributes to the overall mystery of Trollwood, but also some insight into the history behind the park's past. In 1895, Cass County bought part of the farm farm where the park sits today and constructed a building on the site to serve as a hospital for the poor, the elderly, and those without any family who didn't have the means to support themselves. The place became known as Cass County Hospital and Poor Farm. It was said that the actual farm on the grounds was a place where the poor could work, providing produce and goods to the other residents to earn their stay and health care. Many of the individuals who died here were unclaimed by family and were subsequently buried on the property's grounds, forgotten at time. In the years to come, the farm would be converted into a nursing home facility, changing its name to Golden Acres Haven. Eventually, the facility was closed in 1973 and later torn down. Now, the area that that exists as one of Fargo's most visited parks is known as the previous site of a pauper's cemetery. It only became a previous cemetery several years after the park was established. In 1985, bodies started to rise from the ground. Trollwood's position on the Red River made it very susceptible to flooding, and those floods started to dislodge those that had been interred there in generations past. People were literally tripping over bones in the park. So they needed to take a page out of New Orleans? Yeah, so a motion was quickly passed to reinter as many of the remains as possible. However, it is believed that Trollwood remains a burial site for some to this day. There are still spots within the park where people can see the formal burial sites, including the stone indicator that reminds the public today of a place where a cemetery once was sat. Aside from the dancing lady, many people have reported seeing lanterns drifting through the park, swaying as if they were being carried, but no one there to carry them. The feeling of being watched is very common when visiting this park after dark, and various paranormal groups have come to investigate and gone away with a variety of records that lend weight to the stories of the paranormal activity taking place at Trollwood. Many people theorize that the woman to, uh, appears to express her anguish over the neglect of the cemetery that once lay there. Some say a man in, uh, in period clothing also makes an appearance on the grounds from time to time as well, at least until he fades away. Some whose work has them in the park later in the evening have been subjected to disembodied whispers, including chilling remarks telling the living that it's past time that they were gone. While Trollwood Park might be a delightful place to visit by the light of day, staying after dark is not recommended for the faint of heart. And that wraps up. Yes, so our
0: next one will be on March 19th. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Years and Of course, it's going to be haunted Ireland. We got part three
1: slash four. We our
0: fourth script and our third one on Facebook.
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. We've been doing this for a few years.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah. we did one on Vag Network before we started doing Facebook, which is like four for us, three for Facebook. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um then after that on April third uh, will be our haunted Tennessee. And on the 17th will be Haunted, Nevada. So those are our next three podcasts.
1: Yep. So, a lot going on. Um, well, again, we will be uh, talking to y'all again before the, uh, our big weekend with the Churchill Irish Festival and GalaxyCon. Uh, and I think we mentioned this before, but the weekend after that, the weekend of March going into April, we are going to um, – well.
0: Burlesque.
1: Yeah. we're sponsoring the RBA Burlesque Festival so we're not going to have a table there or anything like that but we're uh, presenting sponsors which we're very proud of um, um proud to go ahead and support our friends in the Burlesque community here in Richmond
0: yes and also our good friend that here with her
1: has our office uh, yeah. on
0: that same weekend yep. that Friday Saturday Sunday down in Williamsburg at the Double Tree. Uh, so definitely check that out as well. Um, we're we're prob- hoping to be there Saturday
1: during the day. Yep, yeah, just popping in and actually going as guests. Yeah. yeah.
0: So.
1: We're going to go somewhere and do something for ourselves. <laughs> I might scare it off.
0: <laughs>
1: you may scare it off. Yeah. So, but yeah, so yeah, that's what we got going on coming up. And of course, we still have, um, for the balance of this month, we have our tours on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, even on the weekend of GalaxyCon and Churchill Irish Festival, we've got tours going on, so you can go ahead and come on out and join us for some spooky stuff here in downtown. And, yeah, once, as we do roll into April, we are going to start expanding our schedule again. So, uh, at the end of the month going into October, we are going to go back to our summer hours. I know we're still a few months away from summer, but, um, uh, tours are going to be getting just a little later in the evening. Yeah, and
0: They're like going to happens next week.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we're, gonna going, uh, so we're going to be going, I think, through the August. Next year.
0: Next year. Uh, I don't know
1: yeah. the last one. Yeah, we'll see. But
0: so wait, I, hang on. Uh, spring later. Yeah. We spring forward. Yeah. Uh, um, we, lose uh, an we lose an hour. But then do we go back to having that hour back or? That's what i got to check is if we have the file fallback to any company. <laughs> then, um,
1: but, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. Daylight savings oh, is the way it is. We'll lose an hour in a few weeks or something oh, like that. Yeah. And, uh, Sunday.
0: It is Sunday. This coming weekend? This coming Sunday. <sighs> oh, hour.
1: Darn it. All right, but, uh, yeah, so, and, oh, yeah, next month, April, we will start adding Thursdays back into the schedule, too, so mm-hmm. we'll be going three nights a week, and, uh, yeah, so, a lot going on, a lot of spooky stuff going on. Did I know that? <laughs> <laughs> we
0: have. Yeah, we need to announce it to everybody, but. uh yeah, yeah. okay. Cool. April's so we usually start expanding the schedule. I thought so, but I'm also tired. Yeah, so... <laughs> We go full tilt after Labor Day. So we got labor. And Labor Day is when he stopped wearing, wearing white. white. I mean, um,
1: Memorial Day. Uh-huh. We don't. Not, I, whatever. Yeah, labor wear... Day
0: is when you stop wearing white. In,
1: white is the summer color.
0: What? Oh, that white? Oh, I just thought it was just some weird social faux pas.
1: People can wear what they want when they want. I will do so, and I don't care what people guys, We learn
0: all kinds of things
1: here at Haunted Richmond. <laughs> I will not be dictating what colors you can wear at what time of year. I am not your fashionista. Nope. Uh, yeah. As you
0: can tell, I am wearing nothing fashionista.
1: I am clashing cat. horribly. Because cat I'm hair. Cat. You're wearing cat hair. I'm I'm incredibly <laughs> fashionable. <laughs> I like
0: am wearing the Haunted of Richmond t-shirt, and t-shirt. It doesn't
1: get more fashionable than that. Yeah. I got. I mean, the the what shirt. It, yeah. The spooky stuff and tons of Richmond gear is. Yeah. Appropriate for all occasions. Got a battle vest on is it a hans Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've got a cat. Yes. blends in The perfect accessory, which, you know, you cannot actually see him on the live stream. He's,
0: he's, just, he's in the he's, frame.
1: He's right here. He's in the frame, but you cannot see him.
0: Yeah, he, he is blending in with my sweater quite well. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not happy that I've been shifting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So. Anyways, we will bid you all a good night, and uh, again, two weeks. yeah, hopefully see you back online here in two weeks, and I will also make an effort to get the the episode for two weeks after now posted sooner than later, so that more people know about it. Yes.
0: It's been a little busy. We've been we've been prepping for Galaxy Time, and we're still not
1: quite done yet. We're almost there. Yeah,
0: two more PowerPoints. We're good
1: there. to go. <laughs> hey, we we can just go ahead and get up there and basically almost BS for an hour and entertain people. Yes,
0: yeah, so the visuals help.
1: Yeah, 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 they do. They literally have a guy that's going to be there who's, I will not name names, but it's so-and-so, wastes an hour of your time. Exactly that is the name of his panel. If he can get away with that, I think that we will be just fine. Yes, yeah, so it will be perfect like that. So visuals help. Visuals help. Okay, good enough. What's that? <laughs> we'll talk about it afterwards. Anyways, again, everybody, have a good night. Thanks for watching and uh see you again soon. Bye. With the
0: lucky land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.